God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. From the first epistle of St. Paul to the Corinthians, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. One of the greatest theologians of the 19th century, quite to the surprise of a number of Germans of the same area who thought they were so great, was a quiet young French nun who died of tuberculosis at the age of 24. She has been called the greatest saint of modern times, and in 1997, John Paul II declared her a doctor of the church. Do you feel like an underachiever yet? If you've never read any of her writings, you're in for quite a treat. Therese of Lisieux is an example of precisely what St. Paul writes about. God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. This young woman once wrote of the Eucharist and Jesus' presence therein saying, Jesus is there for you and you alone. Remember that he burns with the desire to enter your heart. Do not listen to Satan. Laugh him to scorn and go without fear to receive Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Do not listen to Satan. Laugh him to scorn and go without fear to receive Jesus. Well, I think that's all I really want to say this morning, but I have, you know, I have to say more or you're going to get shortchanged. Simple words written so beautifully characterize all of her writings, yet they contain a great depth of meaning. The joy of discovering her writing is that, for people like me at least, she shames my presumption, she shames my pride, and she places me squarely in the goodness of God's grace. She once said in prayer, and it's the most challenging thing I've ever heard, she once said in prayer, Jesus, I want to love you more than anyone ever has. Can you even imagine that? I say all of this to return to this image which St. Paul gives us this morning of mockery. The kind of laughing at Satan, scorning evil, that Therese, a simple person, recommends. And in this, she is firmly within the tradition of people like C.S. Lewis and Thomas More and Martin Luther and St. Francis, all of whom recommend the mockery of the enemy in some in ways that we would consider uh, quite rude, actually, as a variety and type of wisdom. We are tempted on a regular basis to believe that we are something, that we have graces of our own making, that we are endowed with gifts that do not come from God. And this is the lie of the enemy, and it is combated through spiritual practices which we could be tempted to believe are childish or lacking in sobriety. But this morning I want to make the claim that the state of the blessed life, such as Jesus describes in the Beatitude, is one of one who has been enraptured into a life not his own. 
who has been taken up into divine virtue, who has received a happiness which is entirely foreign and therefore can laugh at what seemingly no one else finds funny. In years past, the Greek word for blessed, which appears in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, has been translated as happy. I don't know if you ever remember reading translations of the uh, Beatitudes would say, happy are the so-and-so. St. Jerome, in translating this Greek word, makarios, turned to the Latin word beati, meaning happy or even wealthy. And thus the translation at one point gives us wealthy are the poor in spirit. A very overt upending of what is expected, is it not? The lie of the enemy is that material wealth alone can make us happy. That there is no way for the poor to laugh or be glad or rejoice at all unless they have material goods. The truth of Jesus is that to be poor in spirit, humble in heart, is the only happiness, the only wealth. The lie of the enemy is that mourning is nonsense. For why should we care about the death of a friend or a family member? What does it matter? What are you, really, but a bunch of cells which only have as their destiny to decompose and be cast aside? But the truth which Jesus offers us is that in mourning we can truly receive the Lord's strength, fortification against the presumption of believing that our lives are our own. The lie of the enemy is that the meek are to be abused and taken advantage of. That it's their own fault they're in so much trouble. And they're probably dangerous too. We might add that in as well. But the truth of Jesus is that the meek stand to inherit absolutely everything. The whole earth. The lie of the enemy is that hunger and thirst are for the weak. The truly happy will eat and be full. They will never lack anything. But the truth of Jesus is that hunger and thirst of a heavenly kind, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, not our own, will be satisfied. And we ought to know that Jesus grants us his righteousness. The lie of the enemy is that mercy is for the weak, that justice and equality and indeed our own safety are of far greater importance. That if you are to be happy and healthy and safe, you must experience equality. You must get what is yours, even if it means others can't have it. But the truth of Jesus is that to be merciful oneself is to give others what they do not deserve. And that is the cause of great happiness. C.S. Lewis reminds us that equality is medicine, not food, that it does not make life. We are told today that we can have no kind of livelihood without human equality. But the truth is that we can have no kind of livelihood without God's mercy, without being a people of mercy ourselves. The lie of the enemy is that purity of heart is for prudes. The truth of Jesus is that the happy vision of God requires it. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. St. Augustine once wrote that the eyes by which God is seen are within the heart. The eyes by which God is seen are within the heart. And it is here that I must say that impurity of heart leads to a kind of heaviness in the heart, causing us to despair, to lose hope, and to be devoid of love. And today, when we face so much in the form of pornography and violence, much of the task is to relearn how to rejoice in our hearts at that which is truly good, truly beautiful, and truly lovable. And that involves, I might say this morning, to mock what is evil. To indeed laugh at it as something stupid and perverse. More about that later. The lie of the enemy is that peace is for the idealist, while war is for the pragmatist. Either that or peace is only and can only be achieved by human progress, by our own abolition of poverty, hunger, and hatred. The truth which Jesus gives us is that true peace comes from adoption into God's family, from things being set to right, from the kingdom coming receive his grace, to be obedient under the lordship of Jesus. The world is at war for one primary reason, that the kingship of Jesus, who is king over this world, is spurned, and his claim on all humanity is cast aside. Lastly, the lie of the enemy is that persecution is the fate of the superstitious, That to suffer and indeed die for righteousness is an act of total foolishness. And often for us as Christians living in America, we think, aren't we so glad that we were born here and not there? And that we don't have to deal with all that. And isn't it great that Jesus loves us that much? The truth, though, which Jesus gives and which he shows us with his own life, given as a ransom for many, is this. No greater love hath anyone but this, that he give his life for his friends. And in every age, the blood of martyrs has been the seed of the church, and the martyrs have faced their deaths and their persecutors with a song on their lips and smiles on their faces, indeed even some laughter as they offer their lives as a mockery of the wise and the strong. Have you ever met anyone happier than a Christian who has been truly persecuted? I haven't. It's one of the reasons I'm so excited about this men's conference is for you to meet Ben Quashi, a man who has had his family brutalized, his house burned down three times, who lives in constant danger, and yet he is the happiest man I've ever met. He's a portent to us. We need to see this. We need to see the laughter because we take ourselves far too seriously. And laughter is the sound of a people who take God seriously. Laughter is the sound of a people who outpour themselves in love. Beloved, we are facing a very strange and foreign time 
in this world. A time in which the enemies of truth are many and varied, in which the wisdom of the world is getting more and more outlandish, promising ever greater happiness and at greater and greater human costs. The divide between what is good and what is evil is getting sharper and sharper and sharper. It is either that our eyes are gaining focus or that the divide is truly deepening. And I don't know this, but I do know one thing, that Therese is absolutely right. We need to laugh Satan to scorn and go without fear to receive Jesus. We must run with abandon to him who is good, and we must find in him the sanctity and the blessedness and the happiness to scorn that which is evil, to mock it, and indeed to laugh at it. It may very well be that this is the only kind of gravity and the only kind of seriousness which this insane world can possibly understand. A simple people enjoying the blessed happiness of the Lord filled with laughter and goodness and joy. I'm reminded this morning of a story which is told of St. Francis. One of his brothers had uh, been experiencing a particular kind of temptation. A demon would visit him in his hut and would condemn him and would say such things as, You are damned. And then things which hurt even more like this, Brother Francis hates you. Brother Francis does not love you. Brother Francis thinks you're terrible. And this monk was day by day led to despair. He was worried not only about his own soul, but about his place within the community. And so one day, another monk came to visit him And he poured out his soul about all of this temptation that he'd been facing and all the despair that he had. And the monk says to this poor guy, says, Brother, you know Brother Francis. He's he's wonderful. You haven't heard a fly. He's good and he's kind and he's loving and he's affable. Go to him and tell him what you've told me. And so the brother gets up enough courage to go up and meet Francis in their little uh, chapel there. And Francis turned to this poor brother and said, Brother, next time that demon visits you, you tell him to open his mouth so you can poop in it. Now, I tell you that story not to be coarse, but simply to show what we're up against. We are up against demons who want to condemn us, who want to tell us there is no hope, who want to tell us that God does not love us, who even want to tell us that our own brothers and sisters hate us and scorn us and laugh at us and think we're awful. And if you're like me, you've got that little voice in your head that says, so-and-so hates you, so-and-so doesn't like you, so-and-so, your brother, your sister, despises you. We need to laugh again. We need to laugh and rejoice and mock the strong, and mock the so-called wise. True wisdom makes us lighthearted. We need to know that again 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.